I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Before we get going with today's episode of Blue Jays Nation Radio, both Cam, myself, and the entire team at Blue Jays Nation would like to offer our condolences to Blue Jays first base coach Mark Budzinski, his wife Monica, and their entire family on the passing of his eldest daughter, Julia, who passed away over the weekend at the age of 17. Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins said in a statement that Budzinski will be stepping away from the team, added he is loved and well-respected by our entire clubhouse and holds a special place in all our hearts. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Oh, welcome into episode 92 of Blue Jays Nation Radio. Yaremchuk and Koopsy with you. And uh, Koopsy, how was your Canada Day long weekend? Did you get nice and drunk at the ballpark one of those days? I did. I went to the Canada Day game. I wanted to get the, they were doing a George Springer Red Rogers branded jersey giveaway. And I thought, you know, why not? They're, they're not the greatest jerseys, but they're fun. I wouldn't mind getting a free jersey. So I thought the game's at three Eastern time. If I get there at one. Two hours before the game, I should be fine. I was not fine. Really? There was like, oh my God, like thousands of people waiting outside to get inside and get this jersey. So I didn't get one, which is fine. Not the end of the world, but I was there two hours before the game. A little weird. I'm not, I don't usually do that. I'm usually one that rolls in in like the second or third inning. Yeah. So very different experience, but... It was good to get there early because they did a fantastic um, little ceremony thing for Russell Martin. It was very oh, well done. Yeah. Very, very, very emotional. Very nice. Had Jose Bautista reading uh, a little thing about him. Very nice That's to cool. see. That's really cool. Um, so when you got outside the stadium and saw the line, you didn't like pivot. You didn't like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, just going to go sit at a bar for an hour and a half and then go to the game. Like you waited in the line and tried to get your jersey. Yeah, I did. I figured, I mean, you know what, we, you put the effort in and you get there two hours early, maybe you'll rip through and you'll be at a lucky spot where they just had a lot of giveaways at one entrance. You never know. And there isn't that many good bars in the area that I'm like, okay, I'm going to go post up in a Boston pizza for an hour and 15 minutes and spend $90 on Molson Canadians. It's just like, I may as well go inside and spend $200 on Bud Lights. Yeah, that makes uh, that makes a ton of sense to me. <laughs> All right, let's dig into this thing. It was five games against uh, against the Tampa Bay Rays and really was a tale of two series when you really try to think back to what happened on Thursday and Friday and then compare it to just how poorly the three games over the weekend went. 
yeah, much like a tale of two cities. Um, it was it was really frustrating. The the Saturday doubleheader kind of I thought really highlighted the extent to which the Blue Jays don't have much pitching depth. And then we saw Tampa. They're getting healthy now. They had been struggling for a while because they had so many guys injured, but now they're starting rotation, starting to look normal, and their pitching just looks a lot better than the Jays' pitching. It's it's a little bit worrying. I think that this series definitely highlighted that in the next month leading up to the trade deadline, the thing they have to focus on is adding arms for sure, for sure. Yeah, and maybe arms with higher upside than Anthony Banda. You don't believe in uh, Anthony Banda? Uh, cast away from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, the Yankees did well with their 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 Pittsburgh yeah. Pirates cast away, right? Clay Holmes, he's, uh, he's a pretty good reliever. So yeah, let's, he hope, is. let's hope for the same thing here. I mean, <laughs> it seems the Pirates have no idea what the fuck they're doing, but Anthony Banda doesn't seem like a game changer. It's more like Ew. the Jays don't really have any lefties beyond Tim Mesa. So let's get another one. And we'll, that's about uh, it. <laughs> We'll talk a little bit more trade stuff later on in the pod. Uh, for now, though, let's get into three up, three down. Brought to you by DoorDash Ding Dong. Promo code DJ and Pod DD gets first time users of the app 25% off and no delivery fees. This series really took a turn, like you said, with that double header on Saturday. But I am very curious about how did, would things have played out differently if Kevin Gosman didn't get hit in the foot? That felt like the turning point, right? And Shane McClanahan was unhittable. So, you know, maybe the Jays just end up losing that game 3-2 instead of 6-2 if Kevin Gosman is able to stay in. But a really disappointing start to the doubleheader with Gosman going down, and it really was sort of the turn of the week weekend. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's kind of you look at um, you look at that game and the way McClanahan pitched, and he wasn't perfect early on. They scored on him right away and then really settled in and became just extremely dominant. I'm not really sure. Like, I think if Kevin Gosman hadn't have gotten hit with the ball, he would have had to have stayed in and put up, you know, seven scoreless yeah. in order for the Jays to win this thing. And then again, the second game with Thomas Hatch starting, that's really not ideal. Um, I guess if the, the first game doesn't happen, you can pull Hatch quicker, but they kind of knew, okay, we had Casey Lawrence mop up like six minutes or six innings. So Hatch has to go deep into this game no matter what. And he allows 10 runs on 12 hits and four and two thirds innings. I guess you could have pulled him out after two innings. Maybe if Lawrence doesn't have to do what he did in the first game, I don't think it really mattered to be honest. The, the, the two Tampa Bay pitchers were fantastic in those two games. And that was just it. Yeah. And, and sometimes you just get beat by good arms. And I mean, uh, Shane McClanahan is, uh, I like when they were talking on the broadcast about how he could very well, be the guy throwing out the first pitch at the all-star game this year. And Alejandro Kirk could very well be the guy catching that pitch at the all-star game. But McClanahan is legit. His ERA on the year now 1.74. That's just stupid. Like, I mean, that's a guy the race picked at the end of the first round or early second round or whatever, like mm -hmm. unreal how they're able to turn this guy into a legit ace as quickly as they did. I will say at the very least with McClanahan is it's not that the Rays acquired this guy in a trade yeah. from some dumbass franchise in exchange for like a platoon left fielder or something. That's the one positive is it's like, well, at least I didn't fleece some team like the Austin Meadows won this off season or well, all the ones we talked about in the last podcast, Chris Archer won the, um, who was the other one? Oh yeah. The Blake Snell one too. But then you see McClanahan pitching like this and you're like, Oh geez, I'm really sick of this guy in two years. He's not going to be on the team. 
fair enough. And he's he's not going to be on the team. They'll trade him for like 30 prospects. And then his ERA will balloon to like 4.8 for the next four seasons. And I'll be like, oh, what happened to him? I don't know why teams make trades with this organization. Yes. Ever. Uh, the second down we had uh, Thomas Hatch. That, that second game, <laughs> I know you touched on it a little bit, but I, I don't, I mean, part of it, I kind of respect the guy for hanging in there. I mean, you give up 10 earned runs. I think that tied a franchise record. And the Jays were just like, you know what, man, just, just keep grinding out there. We need a few more outs from you. Yeah. Him and Lawrence, it was, it was gutsy yeah. stuff, but it's, it's, it's not what you want to see. Like we, we, we were, we were happy to cheer for Lawrence coming in after Gosman and getting, I wouldn't say he got lit up. I think he did an admirable job in this situation, but you know, we're, we're willing to cheer for one pretty bad pitching performance. I don't think people yeah. were too excited to see Thomas Hatch now have a 19, 19.29 ERA after that game. I'm not going to give Hatch the minus specifically because I think he, yeah. you know, he, tried his, he tried his best. It is what it is. But it's not good that the Blue Jays are in a situation where this is the next guy up. I don't think that's mm. particularly ideal. I also will say he looks far, far, far from the pitcher who in 2020 put up a 2.73 ERA in 17 games. He yeah. looks nothing like that guy. It's, it's, it's crazy. It just, just kind of just fell right off a cliff. Yeah. It really is weird how quickly he's fallen off. Um, you're right though. Maybe not hatch specifically as the down, but the situation itself, um, not great. Uh, the final down we have here is in that third game where, you know, they actually brought the time, like they brought the tying run to the dish there. And I even thought in the second game of the, or sorry, the first game, of the double header. Like when they started that bottom of the ninth with Tay Oscar and Gurriel both getting on and Chapman's coming up, I was kind of sitting there being like, okay, maybe we're going to get like a little miracle comeback here. They didn't get that in either of those games in the final game of the series. Specifically, they were not good with runners in scoring position going two for 14. Okay. When you lose a game seven, three, it appears to be a blowout, but that shouldn't have been a blowout. If the Jays could have just had one or two clutch hits. Yeah, no, seriously, they had the bases loaded, what, three times, including in the ninth inning. They brought the yeah. tying run up. Actually, ironically, and this was a this was an infuriating game for the Jays because just it's it, it felt like a real like raise bullshit game because every single time they had a chance, they just couldn't come up with a clutch hit. But then in the same vein, Tampa with runners in scoring position goes one for 11 and they score seven runs. And it's like, yeah. what is that? How do you, how do you, how do you go one for 11 and score all those runs? And then meanwhile, you're the Jays and you put up 11 hits and score three runs. It doesn't make any sense. It's the most raised thing you'll ever see. Yeah. And I mean, after the first two games of that series, I was like, all right, here we go. Some positive momentum, like long weekend. They got a double header here. Gosman starting it. Like the vibes were all there. And it's funny how now you go back at the end of the series and we're just left with the same feeling we usually are after playing the Rays, which is, oh yeah, it was a Razy kind of thing that happened. And a lot of it was just like the amount of times where they were just squeaking hits through and just little chintzy, yeah. like it was frustrating. Yeah, it was the Rays, the Rays would either, they, they would hit these little hits like two miles an hour off the end of the bat that just land in the perfect spot. And that's how they're getting all their guys on. And then somebody will come up and drill a home run. But meanwhile, when the Jays would have all their opportunities, nobody would could ever come up with a big hit. And that's what's so wildly infuriating about the Rays. They seem to have every bullshit fundamental you would ever want your team to have. You're like, oh, they always get a clutch hit. Like, oh, like they always have so-and-so reliever come out of nowhere and pitch well. But I mean, do they actually have those things? I don't know. We don't pay that much attention to them, but it's just, it's mind numbing how many like Jays killers there seem to be on this team. They're just, uh, 
they're they're infuriating. We have to do five games with the fucking Rays again this year. They're doing it again in September. Awesome. That's annoying. Yeah. At terrible. least it's not in Tampa, though. I will say. Fair enough. Uh, okay, three up now. Let's try to get some positivity going in this thing. <laughs> and the first game of the series, like I did not have high expectations for that ball no. game with Yusei Kikuchi on the mound, and the dude turns around and goes six strong, strikes out eight. Like Kikuchi found something, I guess. I, we're now no longer talking about, ooh, is he going to make another start here? Are they going to move him to the bullpen? Like, nah, man, that was like a really solid effort. Yeah, that was a <laughs> that was an outing where it seemed like Kikuchi knew he was pitching for his job in the rotation. So he goes six innings, allows only four hits, walks only one guy. That's a key. Um, he allows one earned run, and that came by way of a dinger, and he struck out eight guys. It was one of his best starts this season, and definitely one of the best he's had in quite a while because the last time he cleared five innings in a start was May 28th in a win over the Los Angeles Angels. So, I mean, yeah, the Jays really desperately need Kikuchi to pitch well. We all know exactly what it meant for their starting rotation and bullpen when he wasn't, when he was coming out and laying two inning eggs. So let's hope this continues. Let's hope they figured something out and he's made an adjustment and this is going to continue because... I don't know, like when you do this against Tampa, like that's a positive. They're not an elite offense like they were last year, but they're a pretty good offense. They hit yeah. other pitchers around. So it's a it's a positive. We'll we'll enjoy it and hope it continues. Well, the other positive here from those first couple of games is just how solid the bullpen was as well. I mean, in that first game after Kikuche runs through the Rays lineup, you had Thornton, Phelps, and Simber hold the Rays off the board as well. And in the second game after Jose Barrios went five innings, you had Thornton, Romo, Castillo all go at least an inning. Castillo went two, and they didn't allow an earned run either. So the bullpen gets the second up with a little uh, honorable mention or hat tip to our boy Sergio Romo, who made his debut, struck out two batters, only walked one. Solid. Yeah, all told, Sergio Romo, the 39-year-old who throws 85 miles an hour, tossed two clean innings for the Jays with three strikeouts. Uh, I mean, given the way things are going right now for this team's pitching, you take whatever you can get. And if this guy can string together a handful of good innings in July, maybe the beginning of August, that's fantastic. Um, If it's only five good outings and then he, you know, falls off a cliff. Oh, well, that's it. You pretty much take whatever you can get right now. They didn't have to give up anything to get this guy. Seattle's paying his salary. It is what he is. He actually looked quite good in both appearances. It looks like he can get guys to swing and miss. So that's what they need. And that's what hopefully they get for a few more outings from Sergio Romo. Yeah, that's exactly what I said on the last episode, right? It's like, hey, if this guy comes in, gives you five or six good outings, even if he shits the bed twice and then you DFA him, like you've still got five or six good outings out of him and you weren't really getting that from other people. So it's free. You mentioned it. Seattle's paying a salary. This is just all gravy, whatever Sergio Romo can kind of give you here in the next month. And if it lasts longer than that after the deadline, then even better. But for now, I, I view him as sort of just a placeholder until they can, you know, work something more impactful and more significant around the deadline. And yeah, Romo with a solid outing, the bullpen in a few of those games did end up looking pretty good. Like, I mean, Casey Lawrence, we talked about that. We talked about Hatch and his start not being good. But outside of that, like the bullpen was solid. Simber didn't give up a run in any of his or in either of his two outings. Like there was a lot to kind of like about what the bullpen was doing this weekend, which is weird because it's a series where they only won two of the five games. But, you know. Let's move on to our third up here. And it's Gabe, you would have told me what six weeks ago, four weeks ago that Kevin Biggio was going to be edging out Santiago Espinal for his spot in the lineup every day. 
I probably wouldn't have believed you, but Biggio's doing some really impressive stuff since he came back from basically being a missing person for six weeks. Yeah, a lot of people had just kind of written him off. They were like, uh, Kevin B. We had almost, kind of written him off. We did, yeah. <laughs> I say a lot of people. Was it? Yeah, but no, we, uh, yeah, a lot of people did, um, including us. But he goes on the phantom injured list, the COVID injured list or something like that just disappears. And people were pretty prepared to just be like, you know what? I'm fine never seeing this guy again or just keeping him down in AAA. And interestingly, and he, he wasn't that amazing during his rehab stint with Buffalo. And since he's come back, his first game was in that Anaheim series in May. He's put up a 940 OPS. And now after that series against Tampa, in which he goes six for 13 and drew three walks, he's up to a 795 OPS for the year. And when he went on the injured list, his OPS was 258. So that's a pretty meteoric rise, honestly. Like the nice thing about Biggio doing well is if, if he continues like this, you don't really have to go and add a left-handed bat. You can just focus your energy on adding pitching. And that makes life a lot easier because people are talking about, oh, the Jays should go out and acquire an Andrew Benintendi type, which, okay, but then they have to give up x y and z to get it and they can't use that to acquire a pitcher then so if bgo fills that role then fantastic because i think you're more likely it's it's more likely that bgo becomes the lefty bat you need than anyone in triple a contributing to become the starting pitcher you need i think yeah that's an interesting way to look at it um what if bgo was one of the pieces you subtracted in a hypothetical deal there though right like is his play right now giving him any sort of value around the league where other teams would sit there and be like you know what this is a guy we're taking a chance on for us at this stage of our rebuild, like maybe a Kansas city would. I don't know. Maybe the, the team that everyone's always talked about him going to in a deal was Cleveland. It was always, he was one of the big league guys going back in the Jose Ramirez trade. So, you know, maybe there is, but at this point, given the way he's playing and the profile of the player he is, which is plays every position left-handed takes long at bat sees pitches, draws walks. There's really nobody else in the roster that does that. So yeah. I, I, I see it difficult. I, I have a difficult time seeing them subtracting Biggio if he plays like this. The next yeah, and, and that's fair. Like if he keeps playing like this, I don't think you're moving him at all. Uh, one guy who has had his name thrown around the rumors a little bit here is Danny Jansen. Um, this is, I guess it's tough for me because it's one of those moments where you got to remember like, nah, it's a business, right? You're trying to win a world series here, not just compile a team of good guys. But I'd be like, I'd be a little bummed out if they end up moving on from Danny Jansen, while at the same time, totally understanding why they're moving on from Danny Jansen because of what you have with Mourinho and Kirk. Like a deal for Jansen makes sense, but would be upsetting. Yeah, the team that's apparently in the mix who I'm in the mix is probably a stretch. It's the the Tiger, the, the, the Detroit Tigers are reportedly interested in Danny Jansen, which makes sense because the Tigers don't have anyone that can hit right now. And uh, they do kind of check boxes with like a handful of good relievers and they're a shit team. So you don't need Gregory Soto, Joe Jimenez, Michael Fulmer, Andrew Chapin. Like there's a whole bunch of good names back there that have era is around two and strike a bunch of guys out but i don't know you might be you know you might be kind of filling one hole and then creating another there like you have this this perfect thing right now with you know moreno kirk and jansen that when all three of them are healthy you can keep your top prospect in triple a or maybe call him up for a short situation where you have three catchers. And then if someone's hurt, then you call up this guy who can in a pinch be quite good. But if you trade Jansen, then all of a sudden now the Kirk gets hurt and you're left with a rookie catcher and whoever the hell you can add to your 40 at the time. And that's really not ideal. 
I think you, you, you just don't want to be trading from the team right now. And that's kind of my same logic with Jans and Ambigio. And that makes sense. Um, the, like if you hmm, see I'm, and I'm struggling a little bit with this again, because I'm trying to remember the season as a whole and not just have like recency bias because Jansen yeah. was hitting really well early in the season. Like when he's been in the lineup, the guys crushing home runs. But if you can get a guy like Gregory Soto from Detroit and the package is Jansen and maybe a lower level prospect, I think the benefit you could potentially be getting from adding a guy like that to your bullpen, and I'm pretty high on Soto, obviously, how could you not be? The benefit you could get from adding a guy like that to your bullpen far outweighs the potential risk you're taking on by only having Kirk and Mourinho. Like, I, I just think having one of those, like if one of them were to get hurt and you just have to ride the other guy for four weeks while you have Zach Collins as your backup, I, I think the the upside of having Soto in your bullpen in that time is still greater. So it would take more than Jansen, I think, to get a guy like Soto, obviously, but that's the kind of deal. Like if if you have to move Jansen, but you're getting a real strong impact guy who's going to be like Jordan Romano levels of solid, then I think you just bite the bullet and do it because the reality is you probably have to move Jansen this summer or this winter anyways, right? Yeah, it's not unreasonable, but yeah, my, my, my concern is the injury, but it, it is fair what you say, but I just, I hate the idea of them being in like a key game in September and Zach Collins is catching. I, I don't think uh, yeah. anyone wants that. No. And there would be, yeah, like you said, the risk that, Hey, one of those guys goes down and all of a sudden when you need to give your rookie catchers a break, it's Zach Collins in the lineup and you certainly don't want that. Um, yeah, we'll see the trade talks only going to get more intense. Cause we're like 23 days away from, or 26, whatever days away from the trade deadline. We're getting close is, uh, is the point here. It's Let's later take... this year. Isn't it later? It's in August, isn't it? Because the lockout got it pushed back like oh, six days. Oh yeah. 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 I think it's on August the 5th, August the 6th, August, August the 2nd, August 2nd. So it's roughly a month away. Yeah. So four All weeks. Right. Uh, let's take a look ahead. Brought to you by our friends over at Points Bet Canada. Check them out now. They are live in Ontario. It is a three-game set against the Oakland A's, who are a bad baseball team. Um, the Oakland A's, not good. Alec Manoa, very good. And he gets the ball in the series opener tonight on the 4th of July down in Oakland. I, To me, I like the Jays' chances of just rolling through for a sweep here. You just lost three times to the Tampa Bay Rays. I think they will be, I think they're in a very good spot here. Um, If we're talking about a betting perspective, I think they're in a good spot to take them on the spread every game as well. Like this is just the Jays team coming off three losses to Tampa going up against a bad opponent. I know the vibes are never good when the Jays go to the West coast, but they swept the angels earlier this season. So I love them against the A's. I think they're going to roll. Yeah, I think they should. Uh, They should sweep and win all three games. But we said that about Kansas City. We said that about Detroit. Didn't happen. Those are the three really bad teams in the American League. Oakland is 26 and 55. And (laughs) they're significantly worse than Kansas City and Detroit, I think. Maybe not significantly, but they're worse. Since the beginning of June, they have won six games and three of those wins came against Kansas City. So otherwise, their their wins against like reasonably competent teams are a 10-5 win against Seattle. Um, or sorry, a 10-5 win against Cleveland, a 4-3 win against Boston, a 3-1 win against Seattle. So this team does not win very many games. And they, they just don't have much. Like uh actually, ironically, if you look at their their starting pitching staff, is not 
completely terrible. They have three starters who are doing quite well, but then you look at their offense and it's you sort by OPS. The best OPS is 0.699. And that's not just like among qualified hitters. That's among everyone. So I'm on baseball reference right now. And I unclick the box that says when table is sorted, hide the non-qualifiers. And that is their highest OPS 699. Oof, yeah, not good. <laughs> this team but, has no no desires to win any games. Exactly. They don't even want to be playing there. They want to move the team to Vegas. They don't want fans in the seats. It's a really shitty situation for A's fans. I feel quite bad for them, so I won't pile on the team right now. Um, this will be the return of Matt Chapman to the team that drafted him. We obviously know how Chapman's been doing, but what about the guys the Jays gave up in that deal, Kinsey? Uh, not very well. Kevin Smith has a 518 OPS and was recently optioned to AAA. Kirby Sneed has a 7.36 ERA out of the bullpen. Zach Loge, 5.47 ERA in kind of like a swingman role. And then Gunnar Hoagland, the first round pick from last year, of course, had Tommy John and isn't back yet. I don't think we'll be back until August. I think that's what his timeline was, but maybe he's missing the whole year this year. I honestly can't remember. Manoa Kikuchi Barrios for the Blue Jays. Their staff ace gets the ball in the first game and two guys in Kikuchi and Barrios who are coming off good starts against Tampa Bay to finish off the series. Um, again, easy to like the spot. They're going to go up to Seattle after that. So it'd be nice for the Jays to string some stuff together here before the All-Star game. And this is it the really right will. spot to do it. Like we talked yeah. about, you know, when the schedule gets easy, when the schedule gets easy. Okay, well, unlike in June when the schedule got easy and you didn't take advantage of it, you really need to show that you're capable of just pedal to the floor, rolling over some bad teams here over the next week. Yeah. You'd really like to capitalize. There's, you know, seven games here on the road against two teams that aren't very good. One of those two teams, Oakland is extremely bad. Uh, and then there's the Philadelphia Phillies, a mediocre team. And then it's Kansas city again at home, a bad team. This is, yeah. you know, they're not seeing a good team for the next week and a half, two weeks leading into the all-star break. They need to put a good run together here to kind of, compensate for that ugly weekend against Tampa. Yep. You don't, you don't want to be going into a situation where you're in the all-star break and you're in fourth place in the American league East. Even if that means you're in the sixth playoff spot, you just don't want to be the fourth team here. You don't want to be chasing everyone in the second half. The Jays want to establish themselves as the number two. It's not easy to do, but Tampa and Boston play each other six times right away. So maybe one team establishes one team falls back. If I had to guess, I'd think Tampa is the one that gets hot right now, yeah. but the Jays need to win these games. These are bad teams. Simple as that. Bang on, Coombsy. That's going to do it for episode 92 of Blue Jays Nation Radio, brought to you by our friends at DoorDash and shout out to our friends at Points Bet Canada. You enjoy this series, and uh, yourself and BK will be doing this thing on Wednesday or Thursday to recap the series. So enjoy. Correct. Best wishes. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.